What a morning already, amen? Hey, all right, man, it's been good. Uh, I'm Pastor Reg, in case I haven't had the pleasure to meet you. A an Operation Barnabas team, I heard one time, was attacked by a virus. The flu virus, three years ago, on a team that was traveling and ministering all around Northern California, led by our own Sean and Alex Mason. Some of you were on that team, right? Okay, I heard that the flu virus kind of went through the entire month and attacked virtually everybody on the team. But I've also heard that even while trying to serve the Lord and being attacked by the flu, the reports are of an amazing month of God working in and through them through that attack. Whom sh of whom shall I be afraid? Well, I'm so glad that Operation Barnabas is here today and that they've taken over our worship service. Um, it's a blessing to hear and, and see each summer these kids uh, giving up a month or 12 days in the case of, of this year, 2020. But you know what? I'm just praying and I'm sure that God's going to do exponential things in a shorter amount of time in these 12 days. So let's keep praying for them as they're just getting started. It's a blessing to see them getting out into the world and putting everything out on the line, out of their comfort zones for the sake of King Jesus. So just glad for that. And they face all kinds of attacks. Yes, there's sickness and the flu. They also face personal opposition when trying to talk to people out in the public square. People are argumentative and even very vulgar in their replies. You know, sometimes people just don't like the message of Christ crucified. And they let us know that by attacking us. Have, has anyone here ever been attacked by someone or something of any kind? Of any kind? Raise your hand. If you've ever been attacked by anything, everybody should be raising your hand right now. Everybody is attacked at some point. During life, we experience external attacks, like the people that are responding poorly to our faith, like Ashley just shared. It can be your own family. It could be your spouse. It can be someone at work, someone in public, or even someone at the church. We also have internal attacks, things on the inside that eat us up, bother us, keep us up at night, things like anger and sadness, resentment, depression, lust, those things that just keep attacking us from the inside. Imagine just for one example that, that you're next in line for a promotion at work or to make that spot on that sports team or the club that you want, and you're next in line. And you can't wait for the joy of telling your spouse, your friends, your family that you got it and how great it's going to be and how great you're going to be at it. Then the boss or coach comes in, sits you down, and explains to you why you're being passed over for an associate of yours. When you know you could have been better, you deserve it. Imagine the emotional weight, the embarrassment when the family and friends find out. So inside of you, there's this, there's this perfect storm of emotions and, and disappointment. What are you going to do? It's just one of many examples. And I've just given several of examples of attacks that we face as human beings from the outside of ourselves and internal problems. We all have them. They never go away. They won't go away until we reach heaven. They always make life challenging, restless, uncomfortable, and painful. 
But in Psalm 27, our text today, we learn how to face our problems. Which ones? All of them. Every single one of them. Our message today that God wants us to know, he's put it in his word, is how to face every problem in life. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms 27, if you haven't already, if you have your Bibles with you. If you would like to get a bulletin, they're in the back um, of the room. Try to remember those, if those help. But the words will be on the screen. Just, just uh, listen and read along with me in your Bibles. Now, before I look at the text, as parents, I want to say, too, as parents, we, we want our kids to be ready and equipped to handle every kind of attack that they will ever face, right? That's our heart. We want them to be ready for the inside attacks or their sickness that they might go through or, or pressures from school or, or whatever the case is. This is a, Psalm 27 is a perfect place to go to equip them for any kind of attack. This is a picture from our house, from our wall. Several years ago, uh, we had a family friend that was an excellent artist. And we asked her to draw a picture for our twins, our oldest daughters, Lizzie and Gabby. And as you can see in this house right here, Psalm 27 is the text that we drew this from. And as you can see, Gabby's picture shows the protection of God embodied in the, in the hands that are deflecting the spiritual attacks. And then Lizzie's picture shows the freedom and elation in this protection that we have from God. The ability to face external and inter internal problems is what we're after today, and Psalm 27 shows us the way. Now, each week during our psalm series, I've been having this little segment called About the Psalms. Psalms are ancient Hebrew poetry. We just don't think the way that they're written, and so it's good to know exactly how to study them, how to understand them, how to hear God's voice through them. So just real quick, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Um, what it is today is circular versus linear, and I'm going to set up this sermon, our journey through Psalm 27, by looking at this. Hebrew, ancient writers in the Hebrew culture and Greek and others in ancient times, they thought in circular terms, where we Westerners in this modern age are trained and just wired to think in linear terms. Okay, so when we read a book, linear means a line. When we pick up a book, it starts, uh, it progresses, uh, it crescendos, it climaxes, and then there's a resolution just in a line. But that's not how the ancients thought. They thought in circular terms. So as you're reading the Psalms and much of Scripture, you're going to see points made on the way to making the key point, And then after they make the key point, they're going to keep reinforcing the, the, the effect after the key point that's made in the middle and then close with a bookend. That happens a lot in the Psalms. We're going to see that today as well. And so let's just, let's just begin with this very thing. Before we look through the entire Psalm 27, the key theme of, of Psalm 27 is found in verse 4. So circle, the, circle verse 4 in your Bible, a little number 4 if you'd like to. This is the key theme of our message today, where David says, in light of any problem, any problem that you'll ever face in life, one thing I seek, one thing I seek in order to face them. But before we get to that solution, let's look at his journey. In verse 3, he connects with external problems. In verse 3, he says, though an army encamp against me. All right, he's thinking of the, the biggest example here of external problems. Though an, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. 
Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Okay, there's no greater external devastation that you can possibly face in your life, virtually none, than an army trying to hunt you down and destroy you and torture you and kill you, right? And that's what he was facing as he wrote this. And so we're identifying with every type of external problem. Then after verse 4, as he's circling around, he includes internal problems. Just look at verse 10 for now. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. There is no greater internal devastation than to lose the foundational relationships of your life, your spouse, your children, your parents, your best friends, which Ashley just shared a prime example of that very thing that happens often in, in much of the world when people come to Christ and are abandoned by everyone they know. Our identity is so wrapped up in those close relationships. Everything is lost. It's an internal devastation. What's David doing here? He is representing all possible human nightmares, all possible problems from big to small. doesn't matter. All of them from outside of us, from within us. And he gives the, sol- the solution in verse 4. The solution. One thing, here's our key verse. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In other words, should even the worst things that human beings can possibly face happen to me, I have this one thing. If I have this one thing, I will be all right. I'll be more than all right. Now, let's look at the entire psalm together in a short time where we see three ways that we can face every problem in life. You ready? Here it is. Three ways. The first is face problems with confidence because you know God. Face problems, whatever they are, with confidence because you know God. Repeat this after me. I know God. I know God. Now, one time, like you mean it. I know God. Meditate on this, the weight of this statement. I know God. On the glory of this statement. On how different we should be than people who don't know God. So in light of this, every step we take in life can and must be taken in a spirit of confidence. You get this is God's word for you on how to live your life in confidence. So let's look at the text. In the first three verses, we see the source of the confidence. Where does all this confidence come from in the face of any attack? And David starts right off the bat with this, the reason that we should not fear our enemies. It's the source of our confidence. Verses 1 through 3, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Just that opening statement alone. Just meditate on that all day. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Because we know God. The way we face our problems, and the reason for 
no fear of attacks in our lives is God, who is our light, our salvation, our stronghold. That's what we have because we know God. That's the source of our confidence. Now, where David goes next is, what is the secret to our confidence? Verses four through six. We know the source now. It's God in our lives. We know him. How about the secret? And this is the one thing, the one thing, that if you have it, if you have this one thing, you'll be able to face anything in life and survive in it and thrive in it and be wise in the problem and be confident in the problem and be influential to other people in the way that you're facing the problem and beneficial to the world around you as you're facing the problem. Here's the secret to this confidence. Verse four again, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life every day to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Dwell and gaze. Circle those two words in your Bible. Dwell in his house all the days of my life, he says. Now let's explain this because, again, this is Hebrew poetry. You know, poetry is a little out there. Let's pull it down and really understand it and grasp it. To dwell in God's house all the days of my life. Listen, David was just reveling in the fact that he had constant access to God. He could turn to God anytime. Now, the thing about when he lived was to be able to turn to God and seek God's presence, you had to go where? To the temple through the priest. He wrote this. He had access to God, God's presence, through a priest. After Jesus came a thousand years later, where does God's presence dwell now? Let me hear it. In us, in us, through Jesus, the ultimate high priest. We don't go to a priest anymore. In Jesus, the high priest, he has made us priests. We are now the living temple of God. And this is a million times more awesome than David could have known. Do we appreciate this? Every moment a problem arises, do we appreciate that we have this access to God? That God, the living God, is living in us? So this is the one thing to seek after, to dwell with God, to realize that he is with us all the time. He's never going to leave us, and he's always there to, to empower us. This is the secret to this confidence. And then to gaze upon his beauty. Let me just take you to the concept of beauty. We're gazing, gazing at beauty. What is beauty? We, we know the phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That means beauty is different to each one of us. Every one of us has a different definition of beauty, and that's okay. Take music, for instance. The music that I find beautiful, guess what, is not the same as Tyler finds beautiful. I would guess. I mean, maybe. Maybe we have the same taste in music. So what is beauty? It's different for all of us. We find different types of music satisfying, and that's okay. That's how God made us, diverse, different. But here's the definition of beauty. A beautiful thing to us is something that we find satisfying in itself. And I love that. 
We don't need anything more. It's not leading us to something else. What we find beautiful is something that in itself is satisfying to us. We listen to that music and we're satisfied. It's an end in itself. And that's an example of how we can gaze upon God's beauty. It means to find him satisfying in, in itself. So remember this and try this often. When you're in attack, under attack, when you're in the dumps, you find Jesus beautiful. And it will force you out of the dumps. You'll find beauty in him and just gaze in him and dwell with him. This is what victory in Jesus looks like. And it's there for us. Now be aware that this takes some discipline because we don't always think to go right to Jesus in our problems, do we? I wrestle with this. I've wrestled with this this week. It's like I try everything on my own power to, to overcome it, and I just don't think to always think to go right to Jesus. So it's a discipline. It takes some discipline, some reminding, some encouraging to gaze. So here's how we grow in this discipline. Look at the text in verses four, 5 and 6. How do we seek God, dwell in his house, gaze upon his beauty? Just listen to the poem of David. In verses 5 and 6, he says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high on a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. He is dwelling and finding beauty in Jesus. And he's lifted him up, filled him with joy. In the house of the Lord, worshiping, singing, making melody. Now it's clear from these verses that public worship and praise of now of the church provides protection for God's people. We've heard that mentioned today, we've heard that taught today, and we have practiced it today. And in our extended time of worshiping with Operation Barnabas, we have done some satisfying things in our own lives, but we have done some serious spiritual battle here this morning already. Tristan talks about this sometimes when he leads worship. He talks about our praise is a weapon. This is what the Bible teaches. It pushes back the power of the enemy. We've done that today, and God is lifting us up through the face of our problems right this very moment. Now, here's something that I want everybody here to listen to. Removing yourself from this environment where we praise God together that lifts up David so much, removing yourself from this environment, and by that I mean not coming to church, forsaking the gathering of God's people, and what we're doing here every Sunday morning is the quickest and surest way to be overtaken by the enemy's attacks. You stop being in fellowship with God's people and worshiping together and you're in a slow and steady decline spiritually and very open to the enemy's attacks. And this was the case in my life for a few years in my young 20s. I had no ill will. I just got interested in other things and stopped going to the church. And sure enough, how do you put out a fire? You separate the logs. And being separated leaves you open and vulnerable to the overwhelming attacks of the enemy spiritually. So I want to tell you, this is what you're looking at. This is the reason to be faithful to God's people, to the worship of God, 
right here. Don't leave. Okay, don't leave the church. Don't leave Christ. Don't leave and find yourself vulnerable to every kind of attack. Don't miss out on everything that God has for your life as, as you're being built up. So face problems with confidence because we know God and this section ends with the shouts of joy. Man, wouldn't it be great if it was just over right there? We could all go home just happy all the time until we die. But that's not real and that's not where this psalm ends. Right here, we get to what we learned last week is the fulcrum. Uh, in this circular thinking, we come to this balancing point where everything shifts and changes in another direction. And here's where we enter it right now. The problems don't end. That's the problem. So we're going to get real here. There are still problems, and there's still more for us to do. So the second point that David makes is, that, is to face problems with prayer for what we need. Okay, first one, we're going to be confident because we know God, but the second is to pray to God. We've got to pray. We've got to pray. We've got to ask him and talk to him for what we need. Not only do we just dwell with him and his people and gaze upon his beauty, we've got to talk to God through the problems. All right, and again, this takes discipline, but it's so fruitful, as with any good thing that you discipline yourself to do. Here's what happens in the text. There's this huge shift in David's emotions here that we're going to sing. The shift is from joyful singing to desperate moaning. And we're going to connect with this because this happens in our lives all the time. Something occurred in David's life while he was sky high that came and crushed him. And this is real. But David here, as we look at these verses, models such a wonderful thing for us, and that is that we can be real about our problems too when they come, as they come. So let's join him in this. Here's the shift in verse 7. Cry it out. Cry it out right where you are if you're going through a difficult thing in life. And I'm not going to try to identify those. We all have them and they look different. But I do want you to try, stop and think, what are the challenges, problems that I'm facing right now? They could be health-related or relationship-related, job-related, school-related, whatever they are. Let's meet, meet God here and cry this out. Hear, O Lord, when I cry out. Aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Our life does this. We go in life happy and joyful. Camera, are you following me over there? I'm not, maybe I'm out of the camera angle, I'm not sure. But this is the song of our life, the tune of our life. I cannot play the piano, but I practice a major C chord. Man, we've had some of these moments already today. Oh, what a sudden and simple and quick shift can our life turn like that. From this to that, on a day-to-day -day basis, in a moment. It can get worse. <laughs> This is the tune of our life. This is how our life goes from day to day, hour to hour. So David prays and he cries out. And as he does, we learn so much about how we can pray when this happens. David's prayer in verses 7 through 12 gives us three ways that we can respond to God as we pray. Okay, I'm just going to say them up front. We need to receive God's grace, 
We need to experience God's presence. And we need to ask God for guidance and deliverance. Let's look at these briefly. Verse 7, receive God's grace. Again, he says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me. Be gracious to me and answer me. Receive God's grace like he does here. We could talk all of our lives about God's grace. It's in the name of this church for a reason. God's grace is truly amazing. With God's grace, once you receive it, once you claim it, once you grasp that Jesus took everything on the cross with him, you don't need to feel guilt anymore. You don't need to feel shame anymore. You don't need to feel fear anymore. Receive God's grace. This is what he's given us. Jesus took all those things to the cross. Grace removes them. So receive that. And that's going to take you a long way in facing whatever problems you're facing. And never will. Whatever's beating you up. Receive God's grace. Next, we need to experience God's presence. Look at verse 8. He said, you said, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, Lord, your face do I seek. He knows. God says, seek my face. So I'm going to. My heart, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to desire, desire for you emotionally with my experiences, with my feelings. We've been talking in the Psalms that they are equally, equally supposed to be read and studied with our minds and understood and equally felt and experienced. This is a relationship with God. This is the one thing, again, from verse 4, to seek God, to dwell with God, to gaze upon his beauty. The Puritan preacher and theologian Jonathan Edwards gave a great illustration about this, about knowing God with our minds and experiencing him with our feelings, our emotions. Here was the illustration. He said that humans are capable of doing both simultaneously, and that's the relationship with God. He puts it in these terms. He says, there is a difference between knowing that honey is sweet because you've been told that and you've come to understand that honey is sweet. There's a difference between that and having an actual sense of its sweetness because you have tasted it. Right? Have you tasted God's goodness, his forgiveness, his grace, his presence? And been so uplifted from that. So confident through that. It's a great feeling and it's what he wants us to have. You've said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. This is what we're, remember, this is what we're praying to God. So pray this to God. And while we're praying for what we need, we need to receive God's grace. We need to experience him and be with him in his presence and seek his presence, seek his face, be open to that. And then one last thing that we pray to him for, we need to ask God for guidance and deliverance. This is what David does next, and we need to do the same thing. We're dwelling with God. Now just ask, just ask him for what you need to get through your problems. David concludes this section, these verses, 9 through 12, asking for God's guidance and his deliverance. Enemies have risen up, they've caused confusion, they've caused what otherwise would be fear, they've brought false accusations against him, they've tried to destroy him, he was under attack. And this happens to you, to me, to men, to women, to young people, to children who are following Christ. This happens. And so we ask for God's guidance and deliverance. 
We just need to ask. And so what I want to do right now is, is just read out loud together verses 9 through 12. We're reading scripture. If you've never been counseled to pray scripture, it's a great spiritual discipline. It's a great activity. Just pray the words of scripture. So let's do that right now just to get in the habit. And go ahead and make this a worshipful experience of you asking God, you've thought of the problem that you're going through right now. We want God to do something amazing in it. Let's pray this, these, three verse, these four verses and ask God to be with us in this. Okay? Everybody ready? It's going to take a few slides. Here we go. Let's read it out loud together. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O oh, you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. As they breathe out violence. You know what David's doing here as he writes this? He's just asking God. When problems hit you, whatever they are, when we lose that confidence that we started the first half of the psalm with, remember, life can take you to a minor key real fast. When you lose that, ask God we can get them back. Just ask God for his guidance and deliverance, and he answers. And he answers when you ask. When you ask him. A father and son were swimming. And the son was being held up by his father. And the son realized that his safety depended on his father who was holding him. And he asked his father to not drop him, to not leave him. At times, we all feel in deep water facing problems. We lose a job. A relationship is struggling. Someone we love is ill, dying. Maybe someone we love is in sin. Whatever the case is, our temptation is to panic and feel like we've lost control. Yet just like the boy in the pool realized, we need to realize we've never been in control. We've always been held by our Father. And we ask him, don't leave me alone, don't drop me. And he never will. This is God, our Father. He's always there. We need to talk to him. Face problems with confidence because we know God. Face problems asking for everything that we need. And then third and last, when we've done what we need to do, we come to point three, how David ends this psalm. And that is to face problems with readiness to wait. God answers all of your prayers. He answers all of your prayers with one of three answers. You know what they are? Yes, no, or 
Not maybe. <laughs> okay, we're not asking somebody to, to go out with us in sixth grade. <laughs> Circle one. <laughs> yes, no, or wait. Yes, what you're asking me is in, is in line with my will, and I will give it to you now because you asked. No, because you don't know what you're talking You don't know what you're asking. This is not good for you. So because I love you, I'm going to say no. Or third is you're asking me according to, to, to my will, and I'm going to give it to you, but in my perfect time, wait. Keep asking, but wait. And I'm going to give you eyes to see what I'm doing. Look at this verse. This is exactly what David says in verse 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe that I'm going to see God's hand answering my prayers. It's going to be known to me. I'm going to see it eventually. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. Now be strong and let your heart take courage, but wait for the Lord. David's confidence is returning here. And with that return confidence, verse 14, he says, we not only can wait for God's purpose, we can thrive in the waiting. So how should we wait here? Strong, with courage, wait for the Lord. And you do that, and he does things, and I've experienced this in my life. I hope you have too, and I I hope everybody here will too. He does things in the waiting seasons of your life that he can never do any other time. So enjoy those, make the most of them. Seek counsel, seek God and pray, but wait with strength, with courage, wait for the Lord. Here are my, next two, my two next steps for you to take today to put this into motion in your life. Number one is to face your problems the Psalm 27 way. And then let me just repeat what that is. I know some of this is hard to remember uh, 10 minutes after you walk out of the building, but you always have Psalm 27 in your Bible. Join me in facing our problems, okay, facing them together as a church. We're in this together with confidence because we know God, asking God for whatever we need, and waiting for his perfect will and timing. That's how to face your problems in Psalm 27 way. I can't wait to put this into practice all the time from here on out in my own life too. Second, this is a call to salvation We've heard the gospel this morning. TK even gave us a, an invitation for the gospel, an explanation of how to trust Jesus. That's, I'm going to do that right now, too, because this may be the day that somebody here gets saved and comes to new life in Christ and leaves all that old baggage far, far in the depths of the sea. If this is you, are you ready for this? Our light and salvation has a name. It's Jesus. So trust Jesus. You can trust him today if this is a new trust, but just let your your trust be renewed as well if you're already a believer in Christ. David trusted in, the, in God's promise of the Messiah who would come, who would be the light, who would be the salvation, but he saw it only dimly, still in the future. We see it wonderfully and clearly that Jesus died on the cross. Our light and salvation If you give your life to Jesus today, or if you have already, you can gaze at his beauty and face every problem that you'll ever face. Let's call on him right now as we close in prayer and worship him then with a final song that really sets this in motion of 
Operation Barnabas is going to lead us in a closing song. This is your time to respond to our great God. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to call out to you now as Operation Barnabas comes, as we get ready. Uh, Lord, I pray that people will start really doing business in their hearts with you right now. You've increased our knowledge a little bit. Lord, I pray that you'll increase our passion and our relationship with you and our desire, our confidence. I just thank you for who you are and what you're doing right now, this very moment, in everybody's life here in this church and all the friends that are with us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit takes it from here. We love his ministry in our lives, and I look forward to what he's going to do in each one of us now as we close and go from here. In Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen.